during the during the week I received a screenshot on my WhatsApp. It was a, a screenshot of a handwritten paper, piece of paper. And when I look carefully, it was someone who had access to our YouTube and listened to the message we gave. And he sent me a handwritten, his own notes, actually, in French. And that was uh, the note he took when I was uh, preaching in 2005. Uh, at that time, I was preaching, Ce que j'ai contre toi ou la dimension manquante. I have this against you or the missing dimension. In French, he was a standalone uh, preaching. So he took note, just sent me the note, and I look, I say, oh, is that how I was preaching at that time? And, uh, but that speaks volume to me. It means that one day the work of everyone will be revealed in heaven. We're talking about 20, 19 years before. And that young man who was taking diligently his notes, he's now a pastor. And he, he's married, he had three or four children. And um, just to see that, he went in his archives and find that, you know, a Christian is a disciplined person. A Christian need to have his notes. You need to have your notebook. You can go back. You need to, 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 to record what God reveals to you. You know, the, 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 the prayer request, the things you're praying about, you know, the thing God tells you uh, directly, you know, uh, any particular significant teaching you hear, you know, something, just write it down. You can reflect back on it. 20, 30 years after and say, oh, praise the Lord. You know, it's important, but these days, nobody cares. You know, people just come, they listen, they go, which tells you that sometimes people are just not serious. That's what it means. And uh, preachers are working very hard to search the world, to search the world, to come, and people listen, they go as if they've never heard anything. Judged by the kind of questions sometimes you hear, you say, but I've taught this 10 times, you know. Uh, I was in Burundi many years ago. There was a lady who was, uh, I think, number two in a choir. The pastor was a good teacher. And one day during midweek fellowship, she raised her hand and she said, uh, Pastor, I have a question. Uh, is it true that Jesus has come back? Someone saw him in the market this morning. Now we all held our breath. This is someone who sings in the choir all the time. It was hopeless. The pastor could not reply. We were shocked. Just to tell you that people are not serious with God. That's what it means. Sometimes we are ignorant of the basics. The apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians said, I do not want you to be ignorant. The Lord marvels my people perish for lack of knowledge. It's not a good thing. Remember, the disciple of Emmaus, the reaction of the Lord, or what they were telling the Lord. You're the only one living in Jerusalem who does not know what has happened in Jerusalem. The Lord replied and said, you, in French he say, homme sans intelligence, foolish men, not ladies. You see, um, the problem with the Pharisees and many people in the Bible is that the Messiah had already come, he's fulfilled the will of God, but they were still waiting for the Messiah. Lack of discernment is not good. 
Jesus has come already, died on the cross, now he's saving people. His blood avails much. People are being saved. People are being washed and they are whitening their robe in the blood of the Lamb until he comes back. But some people don't know. They're still doing religions. They're still relying on good works. When the Lord has paid it all in full. That's not a good position to be in. Why do you think the Bible was given? Why do you think with perseverance the first disciples were assembled together all the time, being taught? Why do you think that was Why do you think they were gathering together and praying? The word that is used, and I, I really like that word, is perseverance. These things take perseverance. Otherwise you get discouraged. You look at the news, depressing news, what is happening, financial crisis, financial forecast, disastrous, etc. You see those things, deception in churches, compromise in the church, all those kind of things. When you see those things, you may be discouraged. But it's not magic. There's no other way. Is the Bible, is the fellowship amongst the brethren, is the fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is the assembling together and praying together. That's what will keep us going. There's no other way. If you think, well, I told you the other day, someone said, I stopped coming to the church because there are so many hypocrites. I say, I'm one of them. I'm one of those hypocrites. Unless you think you're perfect, you can stay at home. The person was challenged. Well, you see, that kind of mindset, it's self-justification, self-righteousness. Why do you think the Lord has given the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Why do we need patience? Why do we need those things? Self-control. Because we're not perfect. God is helping us and we are called to bear one another. To forgive one another, to love one another. Relying on God. None of us is perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But the church needs to move forward with perseverance. You are the church. Do you know the reason why you are the church? It's because you have the Holy Spirit. Audrey quoted here. Where the Spirit is, there is liberty. What kind of liberty is that? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son and the Spirit work together. The Lord sets you free. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. Now you are free to walk with him and for him and through him. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. As simple as that. Might be politically incorrect, but that's what Romans 8, 9 says. Without the Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it's not his. We may not like that, but that's what the Bible says. We may feel we're very good people, you know, we do things, we can reflect on ourselves for our goodness, righteousness. It doesn't mean anything to God. God only recognizes those who have his Holy Spirit. Make sure you've received Christ in your life. You see, I've told you the other day that some people love Jesus Christ because of the prestige of his name. He's a good moral teacher, you know, Jesus is great, you know. Yes, he came as the Lamb of God, but he will come back as the Lion of Judah to judge. You better make peace of God. And there's no other way. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man who gave himself a ransom. There's no other way. So, what I'm trying to say is that make sure you take care of your journey with God. 
If anyone is in Christ, the new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Remember what I told you. Write yourself, make a list yourself. Two column list yourself. On the left, write the things you used to do, which the Lord has delivered you from. And judge yourself if things have passed away or you've just adhered to a philosophy. Or there is a change, radical and total change from the Lord. And then you start battling with uh, one or two seeds that are persistent. You battle with them. That's the one that ensnares you so easily. Bring that to the Lord. John the Baptist says, show by your deed that your life has changed indeed. There has to be a change. There has to be a change. People who have known you before, you claim to become a Christian. What would you say today? If we meet them, would they make a difference? Would you say, oh, this person was like this? This is now a new person. Is there anyone in the whole world who can testify like that for you? There has to be a testimony. A life before Christ and a life with Christ, there has to be a change. Because it's Christ living in you and I. And he's given his Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we bless you this morning once again and we pray that you guide us through your true and truthful spirit of accuracy and uh, that glorifies you. We pray and we say thank you, Lord, that you have not left us orphans, but you have provided the Holy Spirit, eternal good of God. We commit our heart unto your holy hand. Pray that, Lord, you bless each heart because your word is already blessed. Lead us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our series in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And we're reading from verse 1. Revelation chapter 3. We're reading from verse 1. Now, as I said last week, this is the second time we continue our series on the Church of Sardis. But it's still possible that we will need a third teaching to conclude on this particular book. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 to 6. And to the angel of the church of Sardis writes, These things says he who has the seven spirit of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore if we, you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Verse 4. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garment and they shall walk with me in white 
for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garment, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Six. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Now, this this cannot possibly be the physical ear, because we all have an ear. This is spiritual discernment, to understand the time in which we live, to understand God's requirements, God's desire and will for us. For us who are already saved by God, but also for the hidden, those who are still in rebellion towards God. Let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember I told you last time that I was intentionally skipping difficult passages, which I'm going to do again today. I will mention one or two things, but God willing will come back to those difficult passages. One of them is the seven spirits. In verse 1, seven spirit is written with capital S and then S at the end as if there was many Holy Spirits. That's a difficult passage. Then you have in verse 5, I will not blot out the name, the name from the book of life, which has led people to say, you see, you can lose salvation because God can blot out your name. out of." Those are difficult passages needing careful examination. God willing, we'll come back to that next time. I may just touch on them very quickly today in passing. I'm still reminding you the two approaches to interpreting these letters. The historicist approach and the futurist approach. It's very important that we keep on reminding ourselves that because of this. You see, what the Apostle John saw in chapter 1, he saw seven lampstands. In other versions it mentions seven candlesticks, but I prefer lampstands. And then the Lord was walking through those lampstands. And he was holding in his hand, right hand, seven stars. And then an interpretation was given to John that the seven stars were the seven angels or messengers or ministers of those churches. And the seven lampstands were those churches, those seven churches. And the Lord was walking among those churches. He sustained his servants. And he is the one blessing, leading, because he desires to fellowship with the believers. In the book of Acts we read that the Lord was amongst his people confirming his word with signs and wonder. He was there with them, confirming his word. The Lord delights. Through his Holy Spirit, the Lord delighted. So, 
The seven lamps, by the way, in the Old Testament, when the how is that called in Hebrew? Menorah? Good. Has how many branches? Seven branches. But I, I don't know. I'm talking about seven. I, I have the idea of seven in the Bible. I don't know about nine. That's the first time I hear that. Uh, but we can check that. It's possible. Now, but we know about seven. Now, but it's possible. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> we know about seven. Even here in the Bible, we talk about seven. But the point I'm trying to make here is that that menorah has seven branches, but is referred to that represents the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, that enlightened the priest when they're celebrating the, the bread, the showbread is called the bread. That lamp will enlighten that. So it's the Holy Spirit who guide and help us even to understand the Word of God, to discern, to interpret. It's the Holy Spirit. You see, but there are seven branches, but it's one lamp. So that's the idea here. Hmm. In the Bible, it says that there are seven spirits standing before God in heaven. Seven. Still with capital S. Seven. How else can we understand that? It's a difficult passage and we have to recognize the difficult passage. But we examine the Bible itself and we begin to see some avenues, some avenues of light. For instance, the Bible itself says that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. That's what he said. So we can begin there. It's a safe ground to start there. Then when you read on the letters to all the seven churches, you realize that toward the end of every letter, it says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the, to the, to the churches. Thank you, you good Bible readers. Not to the church, to the churches. One spirit speaking to all the church. Not just to one church. Even if the letter is seemingly addressed to that particular church, the message is relevant to all the church everywhere. The fact that the spirit is talking to that particular church seven times, the spirit is speaking to that particular church, is this. You have this form in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Some people say the fruit of the Holy Spirit, there are nine of them. No, there's only one fruit of the Spirit. Only one. With nine parts. Read your Bible again. It says, and the fruit of the, Holy, of the Spirit is, not are, is. Joy, peace, and nine of them until self-control. Nine parts of the same fruit is the same style. That is used in that place when he talks to the spirit with the S. Is the particularity to show that the spirit, the fullness of God, the perfection of God, sevenfold spirit, yes, that's the expression, is a sevenfold spirit that demonstrates the perfection of God. That's what it is. And because he sent with a particular message to every church, every church, that's why you see that S. It's not that they are 
many Holy Spirit. Got to be careful here because the Mormons can jump on this one. <laughs> the, Mormon can, the Mormons can challenge you on this one because the Mormons believe that there are three gods with G capital and S at the end. That's what they believe. God, God, that time three. Gods. So if they find something like this, they can challenge you and say, oh, you see, that even the Spirit, there's no one only. So let's be very careful when reading these things. The other difficulty is the blotting out the name from the book of life. You see, people have come and say, you see, one can lose salvation just because of that? Well, there's only one place in the Bible when you have a mention of that again. Let's turn to um, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we're reading two verses. Reading verse 32 and 33. That Exodus chapter 32, verse 32 to 33. This is Moses praying. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray... Blot me out of the book which you have written. 33. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Oh, things become slightly clearer here. Oh, so the blotting out of the book is linked to sin. In Luke... The Lord said, he who confess me before men, I will confess him before the angels. He who denies me before men, I will deny him. You see, ultimately, the being written in the book or not is just linked to salvation. End of the story. You have Jesus Christ. You are saved. In the end, your name will be written in the book of the Lamb. That's the most important. The Lord has revealed to us what we need to know. What is the most important to us? There are different interpretations of this. Some of them are valid. Some of them are like this, etc. One of them is this. That the Lord created created humans. Hold his own register because he created everybody. Some people say by way only known to him those who reject, the key thing here is rejecting God's salvation. Because God desires that all men to be saved. He sent his only begotten son that whoever, whoever even in Revelation chapter 20, I think verse 15, whoever was not found written. So the stress, the emphasis is on the whoever. That's where the emphasis is. God desires for everybody to be saved. But those who refuse the will of God and reject his salvation will not be found 
written in the book of but it also means that God is the only one who decided who is saved and who is not you cannot fake you cannot cheat it has to be God writing deciding who is saved and who is not amen that's the issue let's close that and leave it there We're not going back to, to the Diana, Artemis Temple, etc. We've done that already, historic time. It's very important. Those things were very important because if you look at what the Lord is telling this church here, he says in verse 4, Revelation 3, 4, you have a few names even in Sardis. You speak better English than me by far. But even, it's a form of exaggeration. It, it, it means they shouldn't be. But even there, they are because of paganism. Widespread. Total darkness. Because of the temple, the pagan worship. But even in that total dark place, there were people who did not bow down to Baal, to Asherah, to Artemis, to Diana. No. And the Lord commanded them. Even there, you have few names who hold fast to the genuine confession. Now, I am encouraging you and myself today to be amongst that remnant. In French, we say la doctrine du reste. In English, the doctrine of remnants. There is always a remnant. There was one in Israel, there was one in the church, and there will still be one. And I'm calling you and encouraging you to be among that small number of people who hold on to the Lord. You know, the Apostle John was asking, who are these people? The answer was, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Are you following the Lamb wherever he goes? Or are you going to give up and be discouraged? Even in Sardis, widespread total darkness, there were still people who walked and whitened a garment in the blood of the Lamb. Are you, going among, are you going to be among those ones? This man, uh, Professor Butler, Professor Butler, uh, who was uh, maybe the greatest researcher who researched these things in the, the ruins of the ancient church, this church is here. He wrote something he said, I think I quoted this for you last time, that the darkness that is in that part, Asia Minor, in that part, cannot even be compared with the darkness of Babylon. Because when I was thinking, why would the Lord focus his attention on that part of the world? Then as you read the book of Revelation, you hear things such as the throne of Satan is there, the death of the devil, people who have gone, the, 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 the synagogue of the devil. You, there seems to be a concentration there of evil things in that place. So there is a good reason. But even there, the Lord raised the church. Remember in Ephesus read with you from uh, Act 19, how many people were coming to faith 
The temple of Diana Artemis was right there. The, the, the trade of shrine was widespread. But when the Holy Spirit came and the word of God spread, people were forsaking those figs. They were coming with their magic books and they were burning them in front of everybody. Very expensive books. And the people who were trading the shrine get very angry with the apostles. They say, how come? You know, our trade is in trouble because, because of the word of God. The word of God. But read the beginning. In uh, Ephesus 18, 19. Did you receive the Holy Spirit where you believe? No, we haven't even heard about it. Pray for them. They were saved. They will receive the Holy Spirit. Then they could be witness. There was effective witnessing. You can make all the plan you want for, for, for London. It's not going to work. Unless God initiates. In Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, the Lord gave a commandment of what is now known as the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is the Great Commission. But the great commission is to be fulfilled in order. In French we say, en ordre de mission. There is an agenda. Go and do this by doing this, this, this. You will fulfill. It's not done in disorder. It has to be done orderly, in an orderly way. People receive the word. They are baptized. Then they are taught the ways of Christ. That's the difficulty in the church today. The teaching. Everybody has his own little ideas of what they think should be happening. Nobody wants to listen. We call that unteachability. Nobody's teachable anymore. Yet the Lord said, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Everything. But you can't just become your own church. No. There has to be people called by God to teach the church and to help and to answer questions and to help the church according to a calling from God. But this day, everybody knows everything. And we're going nowhere with that. Nowhere. Pride is the problem. Pride. Everybody has his own guru, his own favorite person. Teach them. If you're sitting here listening to me, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ as I myself am, we need to be teachable. If we want to move on with the Lord, we have to be teachable. But it's disaster after disaster after disaster. Nobody listens anymore these days. People have their own YouTube stuff now. No. There is a message for every, for every Sunday, for every congregation, for every day the Lord speaks. Now, the great commission to be fulfilled, it's not a feel-good hobby, unfortunately. You see people on the street just, just doing their own thing sometimes. I've seen so many people standing on the street, what they call outreach. Yeah, People are passing, they call up, and then they're filming themselves for YouTube. 
Evangelism is not a joke. It's not for... It's not childish. This is very serious. We wrestle against, not against flesh and blood. We're going against principalities. The people in the days of Ephesus were prepared. Make sure that they were filled with the Holy Spirit because the encounter was frightening, intimidating. It's not a storytelling things and feel great about doing something and be on YouTube. We're going against principalities. What does the Bible say? Those whom the prince, the God of this age has blinded. So we're going against people who are under the grip of the enemy? We're not going to go with bookish knowledge there? One need to be seriously prepared and be filled with the Holy Spirit and go in the strength, the admonition, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. So there is a battle to sustain, a position to take, and a cost to pay. You see, all these things need to be worked out orderly. There are people who are lobbying for God's righteousness to be upheld in the country. There are people who are directly paying the cost for that. And there are people who are witnessing everyone according to the measure of grace God has bestowed to each one. No. Everybody wants to do everything. Everybody wants to do everything. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not. I do witness from time to time, done maybe less than ten times in my whole life. But I can preach, I can witness on one-to-one, but I'm not an evangelist in the way of Billy Graham or Ray Comfort. I'm not. I can just witness on one-to-one. That's not my calling. I can teach on those things, I can encourage, but it's not my calling. My calling is what I'm doing now. This is what I've been called to do. And each one of us seek in the Lord what the Lord has called you to do. And then God will give you the strength to fulfill effectively what God has called you to do. But the disaster is everybody wants to do everything. Imagine 11 people in the stadium, you know, the goalkeeper wants to be the midfielder, the midfielder wants to be the, the striker. The, imagine that kind of, that's what we do. And the coach is just sitting there, that's not what I told you. And Jesus is there just looking, everyone, no, I don't like this, no. I want to be midfielder, no, I want to be striker, I want to be, No. In Second Corinthians chapter, three, chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, that's First Corinthians 4, 3 to 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. An older lady used to say to me, some people have locked themselves somewhere and they think they are impenetrable by God. She used to say to me, God can penetrate anybody, including Saul of Tarsus. 
So you see, because people delight in being in control of their own life and they like sin, they hate God, they think it's a comfortable position to be in, they don't want even the idea of God, etc. But God in his mercy can penetrate and save even soul of Tarsus, even me and you. That's God. But who is commanding that attitude? Is the God of this age. Is the enemy. The Bible speaks in Romans 1, those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So another way of suppressing the truth of God is increasing sin in people's life. So the BBC, you no know, promoting sin everywhere, confusion, everything upside down, etc. That's another way by the back door of preventing people from receiving the light of Christ. What do we do as a church? When people come in the church, we touch exactly that. We say Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, some people may be uncomfortable. I remember one church where you say the world is sin, everybody starts coughing. It's not part of that church life anymore. They gather people, they tell them how beautiful people are, you know, to top up a little bit self-esteem. You know, people are very good, you're good, you know. See, Christ pay, God paid the price to Christ, that, that how much you worth, you worth heaven and God himself, etc. And people believe to tell people that you are a sinner, you need repentance. It's offending because Christ is my value. So, those who are effectively called to do evangelism should understand this spiritual truth and prepare accordingly and be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's do some, uh, a bit of, some long reading here. Let's go to Acts 19 and see why these things are important. Acts 19. Acts 19 we read from verse 1 to verse 6. Act 19, 1 to 6. <clears throat> and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciple, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? Listen to the answer. So they say to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That's shocking. That's very serious. So we are believers. We, believer. we haven't even heard. Nobody has taught us about the Holy Spirit. Nobody has even taught us the need for the Holy Spirit. Well, Verse 3. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? You see, this suggests that Paul was not just talking about the receiving of the Holy Spirit, because every believer in Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ, you also receive his Spirit. But Paul is talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see the second question? In which baptism then were you baptized? In other words, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit when you came to Christ? That's the question. So the question is not about people get so depressed, I don't, ha I don't have the Holy Spirit. No, we're talking about something different here. Every believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. 
Because in Romans 8, 9, it says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ is not his. When you receive Jesus Christ, he comes to live in you by his spirit. So the problem here Paul was trying to address was the spirit of the service. The spirit that, the measure of spirit that will enable them to serve God, to be effective witness in a place that was overwhelmingly dark. Let's read on. Verse 3. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they say, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Lord, the Lord Jesus. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That was missing. That was missing. Good. Now let's read on and see now what happened after that. Jump to verse 16. Let's read from 16 to 20. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded, etc. Verse 17, this became known both to all Jews, Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Verse 19, also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's Christianity. That's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm not talking about encyclopedia, knowledge, and books. No, I'm talking about Christ's life here. These things cannot be achieved by human understanding. Only the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So as we talk these things, if you listen carefully, the Lord will do the work in your spirit. The Lord will convict you. If you're still playing with these things, oh, I'm a Christian, but I have a bit of yoga, a bit of meditation, yoga, etc., you're in danger. You have to burn those things. You can't sit on the fence. It's either with Christ or against him. But you find people now, you know, yoga was invented in order for people to realize that they are God. That's why yoga was invented. Sometimes we mock them, we say, why does it take so long for God to realize that he's God? We have received the pure, holy spirit of God. 
And the Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. That's what we're doing this morning. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you continue to play, sit on the fence, you're in danger. You have to leave those things completely and cling on to the Lord. That's the only way. Well, you find the Christians sometimes have practiced magic. Yeah, it's there. You know, I just keep there because I bought these books. They were very expensive. I'm keeping them. I'm going to sell them to Amazon. Okay, that's fine. So you're taking the devil things to sell on Amazon because they, these people did not do that. They burned them. And with the help of the church leaders. And that's why we are here. To help you for God to deliver you totally. Jesus Christ. So that you can be free and walk normally. And be joyful with the Lord. The Bible speaks of the joy of salvation. And joy is one part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, we're not here just to say nice things to you. No, we're here to help you, for God to help you to be free and walk with the Lord until we meet him. That's why we're here. Seek help, we will help you. By God's grace. Now, let's say something about the big temple again in Ephesus. The reason I'm spending time on this is because of that small word, even in Sardis, even. The darkness in Sardis meant that God was glorified and magnified that there were people in that very dark city who trusted him. You know, we've just moved in Dartford, and uh, someone approached me and said, Oh, Dartford, there's a lot of darkness. I say, show me another place where there's no darkness. And if there's total darkness, then we're coming with the light of Christ. The Bible says darkness will not prevail forever. You are a candle where you live. And you make a difference. Amen? You make a difference where you are. If there's darkness in, in that form, well, people of God will make a small difference. Amen? So, you see, I told you the other day that the capital of the enemy and lawlessness changes. You see, that's why you hear in Pergamos, you know, they transport to the throne of the devil. He came in Pergamos. And, so there is something. It's not just the building you see. No, it's the content of the building. When they move that in another place, that place becomes the capital. It's the content of the temple that makes the temple, not the building. But every temple is made for one reason. Worship. Now it depends. Who is the destination of that worship? Who is the authority? Because worship has two elements. The destination and the authority. We worship God in heaven. Our Father who had in heaven... That's where we pray to our Father in heaven. Those who worship the enemy, worship the enemy wherever a dark world is. So, 
Worship is either you worship the creator, creator, or you worship the creation. If you worship the creation, that's what is called idolatry. Now, in the creation, you have the devil himself, those who worship nature, those who worship human beings, all sorts of worship. Worshipping creation, that's idolatry. So it's the creator versus the creation. Any worship that is not to the almighty God who created heaven and the earth is idolatry. That includes your dog and your cat. Is unbelievable. People won't care to hear 12 people have died. It doesn't matter. It's all about cat, mice, etc. 10 people have died. Oh, that's, that's awful. God. And this also for grandmom, this includes grandchildren. Grandchildren do not replace God. <laughs> In fact, as magnificent as a building might appear, it does not make any temple. It is the content, the foundation, the purpose, and the subject that makes the temple. A temple is for worship. There are only two destinations and authority in worship. It's creator versus creation. God who made the heaven and the earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, Yahweh, and our God, and, the, and Father, who sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. That's the only true God we worship. The only alternative is Satan, the God of this world. In 1 John 5:19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This includes worship given to fellow human beings and nature. You see, the devil is referred to as the God of this world. In fact, he asked the Lord to worship him. By doing what? By suggesting and by revealing something. Look, all belongs to me. I give to whomever I give. All I want, if you can just worship to me. Ah, we understand. Fame in this world, celebrities, some rich people. I was asking the children yesterday, what's another word in the Bible for rich, for wealthy, for rich? They struggle a little bit. Eventually one got it right. He said, wicked. I said, yes. Why do you think wealthy people are referred to as wicked? Because you don't know what they do to get that money. They don't care about the poor, the Bible says. They don't care. They can buy justice. They can have the best solicitor in town. They, what do you do? They can give a phone call. Someone used to tell me, those people, while you're struggling with your little mortgage, those people always have five or six solutions to every problem in their lives. One phone call, they resolve everything. Let's be sober. Let's be sober. Let's be content with what we have. Let's work hard. The Lord promised to bless the works of our hands. Let us not pursue too much riches. It can be very dangerous. Young people, the culture of celebrities, be very, very careful. You don't know what those people do. Some of them don't even sleep. They're afraid of everything. 
I was saying a story of someone who was, you know, having a nap in the second floor. His children were playing in the garden, and suddenly one child shouted, there is a snake in the second floor. He said, where is it? They're so afraid to die. Now, the word sadis now, the word sadis itself has different meanings. Very difficult words to define. Some meanings of the word sadis seems to be even disconnected. The word sadis means remnants. It means those escaping. It means renovation. It means sun, S-U-N. It means prince of joy. Now, from a spiritual perspective, these definitions are connected on a spiritual level. In fact, those who believe in Christ are, I call them spiritual sadis. Sadis is a good name. It means remnant. It means those escaping. It means prince of joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy of salvation. So there's no harm if you call someone brother and sister or brother sadis. It's okay. It's not an insult. Remnant, the majority of the people reject God. At some point, only eight people in history chose to trust God, Noah and his family. The idea of remnant. Those escaping on the sole merit basis of Christ's finished work on the cross, we are saved from God's wrath to come, so we are escaping. Renovation, we are called to be salt and light in this world. We are sadists. Sun, yes, we are called to be light in this world. Cities built on a hill, all for all to see God through our lives. Prince of joy, our joy is not conditioned by current circumstances. It is from God's spirit, and it transcends trials and tribulation. We're going to stop there, and next time, God willing, we will continue. But the church of Sardis was a dead church but with a very good reputation. Ironically, I would call that church a living dead church. It was a church of lifeless profession of faith. It went through formality, formal routine, but had no real spiritual life, sadly. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you this afternoon and we say thank you for the time you've allowed us, Lord, to share these things. We put our trust in you and commit the rest of our lives in you. Blessed Savior, hold our hand so you know the way and lead us safely, Lord, until we see you. In the meantime, Lord, we want to cling on to you and we pray that, Lord, you show us the way, you help us, Lord, uh, to live wisely. Uh, with your Holy Spirit at hand to help, to guide, to bless, to direct, and to remind us the things you've taught us. We commit each one of us unto your holy hand. Bless each one of us. Bless our week. Bless our time together afterwards as we give glory to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
May the Lord bless you. Thank you.